That would be bad, wouldn't it? Well, it's good to see everybody here. I hope you're uh, feeling light and airy and free and joy-filled. Uh, this time of year always uh, blesses me. I mean, we've got the sunshine out there, we've got the doors open. Just, just kind of feel a little more free. And hopefully uh, some of what we're getting from God's Word recently uh, is, is helping us feel free inside, set free to live free. Halloween <laughs> already. I'm glad that was the door and not somebody. You're slow on the uptake back there. You're right. So uh, this morning's message is uh, flesh versus spirit. And it's the conflict of two natures. And, you know, we all struggle with it. Uh, we can have victory over it, but it, it's it's there. It's a real thing that we have to uh, um, deal with. And I guess I want to start out laying the foundation that is that our our faith, our walk of faith, starts with grace, and it's maintained by grace. So grace is everything, really. Amen. Um, you know, in fact, as we grow in our uh, our maturity, our walk, our knowledge of God, um, we have these things called Christian graces. Uh, I believe that's in what First Peter one, Second Peter one, um, but they don't come unless grace has been planted in us. They, they, they don't come from the law. They don't come from good behavior. So it, all, it begins with faith. By grace, through faith, we've been saved. And we say that a lot. We have the kids memorize it. But I think we have to keep getting reminded because, you know, it's, it's so easy to revert back to uh, what I might call value systems. You know, our values are made up of our morals, our conduct, our behavior, and so we have a value system. Every one of us could probably give a, a short list of, well, these are my values, and this is what I try to live by. But is it really what we should be trying to live by? Uh, I would say most people, particularly non-believers, would look at Christianity as, you know, you, we have a set of uh, behaviors and a a code that we have to follow, and those that aren't saved don't want to follow that, but that's what they think Christianity is about. But again, is it? If we think about it, we tend to develop these value systems over time. Uh, you know, we think, well, I'm, I'm going to do this, and if it comes up, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, you know, we even make lists of good values, and in fact, we put them on our fridge because we know we're going to forget them. <laughs> so we have to walk by and see it every day. We teach our kids value systems. And the reason we're putting it up there on the fridge, the reason we kind of create this uh, value system is we're, we tend to forget it. You know, it doesn't come naturally or intuitively. So... 
It's something we want to ascribe to. It's something that we think is good. But what God tells us is that He's not really interested in systems of living. He's not interested in your value system. He's not going to read your refrigerator. That's what He's saying. You can find that in the Bible somewhere, I think. Um, in so many words. In so many words, yes. I like it. I'm going to use that. So, um, let, let's dig into this a little bit so that we can uh, see where this value system thing came from and um, how we can uh, deal with it. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis 2. So God is interested in relationships. As I said, He's not interested in our value system that we create. He's interested in a relationship with us. And this um, intimate relationship we have with Him will produce a godly lifestyle. An intimate relationship with God will produce a godly lifestyle. A focus on behavior does not create intimacy with God or a godly lifestyle. You see how those kind of oppose each other? Um, we, we normally will go for the code of behavior because it seems more identifiable and rememberable. But really, a relationship, I mean, how do you define a relationship? You know, it's, we have a relationship, but it's multifaceted, and it's individual. So are you there? Uh, Genesis 2, I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. And this is speaking about the two trees in the garden. And I want to kind of connect what we're reading here to what we're talking about, the flesh versus the spirit, code of behavior versus intimate relationship. Verse 8, The Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight. And good for the good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Move down uh, the chapter with me to verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Move down a little bit further to chapter 3. We're going to read the first handful of verses. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said, and take it for granted, you all realize the serpent is Satan. The serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable 
and made one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loin coverings. So we see here that God gave them uh, the freedom to make the choice of what to eat, which tree to eat from, but warned them of which one not to eat from. <laughs> aren't we, aren't we kind of like that? We, you know, that's the one I'm not supposed to touch. I'm not supposed to go there. And that's where we figure we should go. So he says, you know, basically choose the tree of life, which is kind of a picture of Jesus, who is life and gives us life. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is having a personal knowledge instead of depending solely on God. So in other words, um, that tree would enable us to distinguish right from wrong. It, it, it gave us a, um, a new understanding, but it's not the one that God wanted us to have. So the moment that uh, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened. They became conscious of good and evil. Before that, they weren't. From that day forward, every deed of their life will be judged by a value system of right and wrong. That makes sense? Are you seeing that? From that day forward, since they would know what's good and evil, everything would be measured against that. What is this good? Is this evil? But God's desire was simply for them to allow him to be the source and authority of their life. And it stands true today. That's what God wants from us. But Satan, the serpent, wanted them to know good from evil so that he could tempt them with evil. I don't know, I, I saw that this week, and that's just, that's so simple, it's astounding. So, as a result, the systems of right and wrong were, have been continually created by man and they change over time, right? I mean, from culture to culture, religion to religion, country to country, age to age, we have value systems, and they're different over time and culture and country. But again, that was not God's desire. So when we talk about grace, uh, one of the questions that comes up is, does God still desire us to have a righteous lifestyle? Yeah, most certainly. But he wants grace and love to produce it, not guilt, obligation, or self-effort. Just as your testimony was, Kathy. Thank you for that. When we become Christians, we possess the divine life of Jesus Christ. As we abide in Christ, his life flows out of us, producing a righteous lifestyle. So, uh, I guess to rephrase that, you know, we can try to create our own value system, a code of behavior, and try to follow that, and we know it fails, or we partake of the divine nature of Christ dwelling within us and out of 
our heart, out of our inner man, flows that righteous lifestyle because we're abiding in Christ and He in us. God's empowering grace through Jesus will always produce righteous righteousness in us, whereas self-effort will always fail. It'll always fail. It might succeed for a short period of time. You might be deceived to think you're succeeding at it, but we're not fooling God. So how can we say that it will always fail? Well, to fail to abide in Christ is to walk after the flesh. Repeat that, because that's just like so simple and so big. To, to fail to abide in Christ is to walk after the flesh. And anytime we do things on our own, it's sin. Anytime we do things on our own, it's sin. Regardless of how good our actions might appear. So in uh, Romans 14, 23, it says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he's eating not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So we must have faith. Um, so any works that we're going to do must come from faith. Faith has to be there in order for works to be of him and not sin. You know, a good work, you could be uh, serving in the food pantry, doing a good thing. But if you're not doing it from faith, it's sin. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must <coughs> believe that he is, is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So Christians can engage in endless debates over right or wrong, and, and we do. Even good behavior, which is, an, which is not an expression of Christ, is sin. Even good behavior without crisis is sin. So our, our good deeds without faith do not please God. Why? How? This, does this make sense? I mean, it seems kind of opposite of what we've heard. But here's the answer. The reason it doesn't is because the fruit from that work is coming from the wrong tree. It's coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not the tree of life. So you see how those two trees in the garden in week one were pretty important? If you did a little word study in the Bible about the tree of life, you'll find some interesting connections all the way into Revelation. When, when the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem come, there's going to be a tree of life there. Mm-hmm. So, when you're presented with a choice, don't ask yourself, would it be wrong for me to do this? Instead, ask, am I abiding in Christ at this moment? You know, I'm getting ready to take this step. I'm getting ready to make this decision. Am I abiding in Christ at this moment? An unsafe person evaluates their behavior on the basis of the right-wrong value system. But the lifestyle of a Christian is to flow from the activity of Christ. If the lifestyle of a Christian is built around a value system, there's little difference between that and the lifestyle of a non-believer. We all know 
non-believers that are good people. In fact, some of us were good people. We say that all the time. Oh, he doesn't believe, but he's a good person. Or, well, maybe he believes. He is a good person. So we know that that value system, that ranking of being a good person is there. But we really need to pierce and, and see into their spirit, see if Christ is abiding in them. So what do I want to say about value systems? Give them up. Get rid of them. Rip it up. Take it off your refrigerator. Before the, before the fall, as we were reading, you know, Adam and Eve were walking around in the garden. They were naked. And in a manner of speaking, they never looked at themselves. Like, oh, where's my gloves? I'm naked. They weren't concentrated on themselves. They didn't realize that there was any other way than just walking around naked. And in the same way, if we're abiding in Christ, we would be walking around not looking at ourselves, but looking out, looking and trying to see things in Christ sees them, seeing other people and how we might <coughs> interact with them, how we might serve them, how we might share the gospel with them, love them. And we're unaware of ourselves. We're unaware of, well, they make me feel angry or, you know, they make me feel um, less than they are. If we're, if we're abiding in Christ and walking around, those thoughts don't come in because we're thinking outward. So again, what's wrong with value system? What's wrong with right and wrong? Um, we, we tend to become obsessed with right and wrong values. Uh, uh, you know, so much of the angst that we see going on in the public square right now is a battle of value systems, right? You know, if you were uh, crazy enough to get on Facebook and make a post, <laughs> It's going to express your value system, and somebody else is going to have a problem with it, right? And they're going to let you know. And then, of course, you've got to respond. So it begins to be an obsession. What happens? With, in other words, people become self-conscious instead of God-conscious. That's what's happening in all this posting back and forth that's attacking each other. I'm not saying every post is bad, but... You know, you've seen enough of them to know what I'm talking about. I won't tell you if I saw yours. Uh, focusing on behavior takes our eyes off of God. Uh, and we're putting it on ourselves. The focus is on ourselves. And, you know, God's purpose, just like in the garden, is that our focus should be on Him. You know, on Him, not ourselves. If we spend a whole bunch of effort evaluating our behavior to see if it's good, if it's right or wrong, um, even you know trying to measure up our behavior against the Ten Commandments, um, you know we say to ourselves and to others as we're patting ourselves on the back, how oh, we be we comply with Ten Commandments. I you know I haven't murdered, I haven't stolen, you know I haven't had adultery. If you've ever uh, Watched uh, Kirk Cameron ask the questions 
So you say you're not a sinner <laughs> and that you're a good person. Let me ask you if you've ever stolen. Oh, no, I haven't. And he'll ask them a question. And, oh, yeah, I guess I have. <coughs> we all have. We, we cannot conform to even just the Ten Commandments. And history shows us that man, age to age, cannot comply with it. So if we're focusing on a behavior system, a value system, it will take our eyes off the target, which should be Jesus. And when we do that, that person's joy has been stolen. That person's joy in Christ. Um, they are typically trapped in self-analysis. Self-analysis will drive you crazy. You will be in a circle. You will never get out of it unless Christ yanks you out of it. On the flip side of that, focusing on right and wrong behavior and value systems can be the root of pride and arrogance. You might be thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good at this. You know, I do this and I do this, and, and look at them over there. I mean, they're not doing that, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So it, the right-wrong value system is just a trap all the way around. Just which, which way are you going to get trapped? So the second one is an obsession with right and wrong emphasizes human values instead of godly virtues. So if we look at our, our, our list, our refrigerator list, values, rights, and wrongs, you know, really let me get down to it. Those are human values. And we should be seeking godly virtues. Values are the structure of a belief system. And people build a lifestyle on it. Legalists emphasize having the right values. And, and this approach, what's wrong with this approach is it doesn't require any divine involvement. It's just, can I perform it on my own will, on my own self-effort? God is not in that picture. So those who try to live off of a right-wrong value system, they begin to be uh, kind of crusty and self-righteous. They, in fact, see what they should do, but they cannot affect the changes of what to do. Uh, they know what they should do, but they can't do it. Um, and they question why. Turn with me to Romans 7. This is a, a pretty common passage that we're familiar with, but in the context of what we're talking about, I think it brings to light the problem and the solution. Romans 7, beginning with verse 14. For we know that the law, that's God's law, the Mosaic law, is spiritual. But I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. You know, and that's what Jesus points out to us, that when we're uh, judging others, you know, we're judging them against what we don't want to do, but we discover, wait a minute, I am doing it. 16, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. 
So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Are you getting frustrated yet? <laughs> 21. I find then that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. So Paul's saying, you know, I'm the person who wants to do good, but my flesh is still there. And evil is tempting it. Uh, 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So Paul gets to this point, and we get to that same point. We, we get to that point where we realize, wow, this is not working. This is hopeless. I can't do it on my own. And then Paul, boom, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my, with my flesh, the law of sin. So Jesus, his presence abiding in us, dwelling within us, is the only answer for behavior modification. Um, if you've, you know, been uh, working with, uh, non-believers, new believers, you know, you, you can get frustrated because you can tell them what the Bible says, but you can't make them do it. Um, when we used to have homeless people camping here all the time, um, you know, they'd come in, they'd have a crazy lifestyle, and they would be here. And we'd want to modify their behavior, right? We want them... You know, clean up, take a shower, cook, clean up your campsite, and go get a job. So we, we have all these rules that don't work. <laughs> you cannot make them behave like your list. It has to start in here. So as a church, we're having to tolerate people that, whose lives are chaos, craziness, until their heart changes. And so we keep talking to their heart, trying to get that to change. That's the only way behavior's gonna change. What if their brain's messed up though? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're yeah. out there. Yeah. They came here. But um, I'm still a believer that God in us can fix those things too. Um, it may be more difficult, it may take a little more time, but he's still the solution, the only solution. Well, it's kind of like plant a seed, and some seeds take a long time before they finally germinate and start growing. Amen. Uh, kind of like uh, Adrian puts uh, flower bulbs in the ground and in the fall, we know they aren't going to spring up till spring. They're sitting there in the ground for all that time doing nothing. Yeah. Seemingly. Um, uh, an obsession with right and wrong 
stresses law instead of life. Amen. So people whose life is built around an obsession with right and wrong will forever be frustrated. They see what they should do, but they can't find how to do it. An obsession with right and wrong is fleeting. If somebody's trying to teach a right and wrong system or live in it, before long they realize they can't match up to it. They can't live in it. So what do they do? They come up with a new system, a new right and wrong system, the new improved one. And that's what's been going on in our culture for the last couple decades, three decades, is the right and wrong in Christ, you know, being one nation under God, being in Christ, uh, got thrown out the window. And (coughs) we're presented with the right and wrong systems, what's right, what's wrong. And when it didn't work out, they changed it. Uh, Those systems are getting changed every week now because there's just no way to keep up with it. So whenever these new systems come up, they too are diametrically opposed to Christ. They are still not going to accomplish the purpose. So what am I saying? Am I saying that we should have no rules to obey and that we can do whatever we want? And we will be saved and even have a good life? No, no. I'm saying change targets. <laughs> Look for the open space between the trees. Look, move your focus from value systems to Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Immoral values certainly won't produce a moral lifestyle. We can understand that. But as we abide in Christ, the divine virtues of Jesus will be revealed through our attitudes and our actions as he changes our heart's desires. It's all about that heart. So I'm saying focus on Christ, living his life through us instead of right and wrong issues. In other words, his values become our values. We are not going to understand what his values are until he's in us because it's the Holy Spirit that searches the mind of Christ, the mind of God, and reveals to us. So that's how we understand what's important to, to God. So as we abide in Christ, his life will be expressed <coughs> through us. All right, so another question maybe comes up about now is, oh, others, I guess I didn't realize that. How do we abide in Christ? Anybody want to ask that yet? How do we abide in Christ? Um, well, number one is we've got to take our eyes off of ourselves. Take our eyes off of ourselves. Many people are spiritually frustrated or just frustrated in life because they're constantly examining themselves. And they, they find that they come up short. So any Christian who is doing that is going to find they're frustrated just like you know, non-believers. You won't enjoy love. So take your eyes off yourself. Put, put your full attention on Christ. It isn't necessary in Christ to be obsessed with your actions. <clears throat> Why do I say that? Because if you have Christ in you, 
He will let you know if something needs to be changed. Amen. He will let you know if you're going the wrong way. He will let you know if you just were a jerk to someone. <laughs> You'll know. And when you think about it, isn't that so much easier? In other words, throw the list away and you just have one thing you need to remember, Christ abiding in me. Amen. And that's freedom. That's being set free so that we can live free. So many of my uh, old ideas and desires no longer hold appeal. And that's because when we have Christ abiding in us, we begin to think about what he thinks about. And so, if you are in bondage to something, addiction to something, you know, you're, you're focusing on the addiction. You're focusing on how it makes you feel or how you don't feel if you don't have it. But if you have Christ in you, sometimes the thoughts don't even come up. Pretty soon they just disappear. Um, back in uh, the early days of, of our marriage and our kids were still pretty young, and, uh, you know, even though I was born again, you know, I would still drink. And, you know, it's okay to drink if you're born again. But for me, it was sin because it had controlled me to the point where I lost my license in three different states because of drinking and driving. Well, drinking and driving, yeah. We had combination. And... You know, what What changed? What t- the first mission trip I went on, I went to Uganda, and I was there for a month. And I never even once thought about drinking. Didn't even come to my mind, because I was totally focused on serving him each and every day. Um, no matter what I was doing, where I was going. So, in other words, if you take your mind off yourself and put it on Christ... These things of the earth, these things of the flesh, just fade away. Um, Number two, how do we abide in Christ? Practice being Christ-like rather than practicing sin. John says practicing sin is lawlessness. Jesus doesn't do that. So we should practice trying to be like him, being Christ-like to others. Uh, and then finally, love Jesus. A love relationship with Jesus will be much more satisfying than obligation, guilt, and self-effort. Right? How many, how many of you like obligation and guilt and self-effort? Does that really help your life feel good? I don't see any hands being raised. <laughs> so we, we are set free from value systems to live free. And that's what the grace walk is all about. Being set free in Christ. All righty, praise God. Any uh, woohoos or comments? <laughs> Bob and then Mike and Jerry. Thou shalt not steal the law. Grace I'm going to give. And if you're going to live by the law, you're going to constantly feed yourself 
I'm not gonna steal, I'm not gonna steal. But when you come to grace, you just give. And stealing is not even like part of it anymore. Yeah. yeah. And it goes with that with all ten of the commandments from um, Sunday, worshiping on Sunday, or worshiping every, you know, is the law, are you gonna live by that and just worship on Sunday? Or are you gonna worship every day with grace? And you can go through all ten like that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Sure. Um, when we were reading uh, Romans uh, 7, was it, uh, verse uh, 17 through 25, I just glanced down at chapter 8 and the first verse. Yeah. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Yeah. And this is kind of the bottom line for me, that Paul said all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. And if you really get the big picture of that, that means I could walk out of here and kill somebody and Jesus isn't going to love me any less. But it wouldn't be profitable because I'd end up for the rest of my life in a jail cell about this big for the next five to 15 years. <laughs> but anyway, I, I mean, when you really get some of this in perspective that that love doesn't stop, period. Um, and... If Galatians 2.20 says that we have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer we who live, we can't do anything to be good or right ourselves because we're dead and a dead man can't do that. It's Christ doing it through us. Yeah. Mike? You, uh, earlier in your sermon, you made reference to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, where it makes a reference to um, God's great mercy and grace to us and giving us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature. And that's a, that's a progressive thing. And I, I, it leads me back to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, talking about abiding. He says, if you abide in my word, it are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I think the point that he was making, I think that it's critically important that as Christ followers that we are abiding in Christ in his word not as an academic exercise, but in recognizing that he has promised that if we spend time with him in his word, a supernatural transaction is going to take place. We're really not reading, when we read our Bibles, it's really sitting at the feet of Jesus, and his Holy Spirit takes the word, causes it to come alive, so we become more like him. And the fruit that we see in a person's life isn't us, it's him in us. Amen. Amen. To read your Bibles. Pastor Mark, this was a powerful message today. Thank you. I I think back at where I was and where I am. It's just amazing to me that God's grace is so incurable. I did not understand it. I grew up in a North American Baptist church that my grandfather founded. There's German on top of it. Oh my gosh. Being perfect, doing everything right, and I absolutely, you know, sex, rock, rock and roll, and drugs. Don't look at me when you say that. <laughs> you know, so identifying the, the negative flesh is real easy. Well, finally God gets, ahead, gets a hold of me, right? Now I'm going to perform being an excellent Christian. So now I have the positive flesh. It's just a stinky. 
It's just as stinky. I never lived in freedom until I understand God's grace and his love. I mean, that's what's amazing to me, is his love changes people, nothing else. And, you know, and then on top of it, what happens with when we are living the Christian life and doing the positive flesh and doing everything right, then we get judgmental. We look at other people and we say, well, why can't you do that? You just don't have enough faith. You're just not doing that Bible study every day. You're not, you know. And so thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Those things that we do aren't profitable sometimes, but his grace is sufficient. And he will never leave us or forsake us. His love changes people's lives. Anyway. I just want to add to that because, you know, you're so right, you know. There was somebody that said to me, you know, recently, you know, well, you know, you're just, you just have a positive attitude, and that's how you're able to be, you know, a joy and a peace so much of the time. Like, <laughs> you know, I tried that for like all my life and still sometimes try to do that, right? <coughs> the reason, if I'm in true joy and in true peace, you guys, it's, it is, it's him. And he just works through us. We just have to let him work through us and just move through us, and it's so good. But that just confirmed, you know, everything everybody said today just confirmed that in, in my heart, you know, now that that it's not just a positive attitude, because it's not. Well said. My mom would be upset if I did not point out the offering about Taught to be under the law. <laughs> In memory of. That was, a, that was a fond memory. That was not guilt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we loved her. Mike. I was reminded of the story of the two, the two wolves inside us. Does everyone know that story? The old, I think it's a Cherokee proverb. That inside of each of us are two wolves constantly fighting. There's the good wolf that does no harm, you know, very godly, lives in harmony with the environment. And then there's the bad wolf, that aggressive wolf that's mean, that lives in the flesh. And the story goes that the grandkid is talking to his grandfather, and the grandfather's explaining this to him. He goes, well which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. You know, and that's, Kathy mentioned about how quickly the food went this morning, and I'm here for the other food, the spiritual food, you know, to, to feed the good wolf inside of us. Well, I think uh, what Grace is saying is that evil wolf is dead. Amen. He's not just getting starved, he's dead. That's right. So we have just the good one living in us, yeah. as Christ. You still need to be able, I'd say, call upon that one if you're in a situation that requires it. You know, you can't be the nice guy if there's danger coming your way. You're going to take a beat. You know, something like that. So, I don't know, that's just you. That's, that's a whole different thing, and it's, it, some of that goes to setting yeah. boundaries and healthy things like that. Yeah. yeah. Or every time I invite somebody to church, tell them come here by 9.30 because we do a breakfast brunch. 
and we're going to fill your belly, and then and then we're going to fill your soul after that. Amen. <laughs> That's a good one. There you go. All right, well, let's uh, gather around and pray for one another.